The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Shell Oil, for example, is now building themselves into your car entertainment system. So they'll say, gee, you're running low on gas. We have a station just a kilometer ahead. If you fill up now, I'll give you two coupons for coffee. And by the way, it knows two coupons because the in-seat monitors told them there were two people in the car. My washing machine, for example, can automatically order the detergent when it's running low. My printer orders my own ink, and my Brita orders its own filters. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Mind Valley podcast. Once again, we're recording under some pretty strange circumstances. I'm in house quarantine because of the coronavirus, and we're running Mind Valley and all of our operations, 250 people, all working from home, interacting on Google Hangouts. And so we've been bringing on guests and bringing on speakers that could help bring clarity, meaning, understanding, some sense of comfort during this confusing time. And about two months ago, I met this remarkable man. I was at an event in Panama City, and he was a speaker. His name is Terry Jones, and what he's accomplished in life is truly revolutionary. He's the founder of Travelocity, the founding chairman of Kayak.com. I've been using Kayak.com for 10 years almost to, to book flights. It is one of the most useful internet websites I have in my life. And Terry began his career as a travel agent. He jumped to two startups and spent 20 years at American Airlines, serving in a variety of management positions. It was at American Airlines that he led the team to start Travelocity, and he changed the travel industry. Now, that industry is an industry going through some massive disruption right now because of the situation at hand. But that is not the topic of this podcast. Rather, what we're going to talk about is Terry's work as an innovator, as a thinker, as a thought leader, helping people around the world think about how to disrupt their own companies so that they can rise into the next evolution of their business. So Terry's the author of a book. I'm halfway through the book right now, and it's a beautiful, stunning book that just kind of grips you. It's called Disruption Off, The Technological Disruption Coming for Your Company and What to Do About It by Terry Jones, founder of Travelocity, founding chairman of Kayak.com. Go check out the book if the title resonates with you. It's Disruption Off. You can Google it. Simply put in Disruption Off and you'll find it. But here's why this topic is so interesting today. During this time, when so many businesses are being disrupted by coronavirus, what if we can use the fact that we are kind of like under house arrest to use this time to actually think about what are we going to shift in our lives and shift in our business when we come out of the situation. And when we come out of this situation, as everyone is putting the pieces back together again, what if we can put the Lego bricks back together in such a way that we are not just doing regular business, but we are leveraging changes in the world, 
new technologies, new business models to rebuild ourselves better than before. So I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Let's welcome onto the Mind Valley podcast, Terry Jones. Terry, how are you today? Very well. Thanks for having me. Terry, I was really impressed by your talk, the one that you delivered in Panama City. So I'm excited to have you as a guest. But first, let me ask you, how are you doing today with everything that's happening? Well, I'm doing very well. I'm lucky I live way up in the mountains in Nevada at a ski resort. So we have lots of snow and we're on lockdown as well. My wife has advanced Lyme disease, so got to be very careful with her. So we're just staying home and having time to write and read and think about disruption, among other things, because certainly we're in the middle of that. Firstly, it's really sorry to hear about your wife and the situation you're in, but it is nice that you are in a ski resort. That's a pretty comfortable place to be holed up in. Yeah, it's very nice. Unfortunately, we had tons of snow and the resort's all closed, but it makes it easy to go outside and be alone and walk the dog. And it's unusual for me because I, like you, I travel so much, but it's great to have the time and, and to have the time to read and think. I think that's what's interesting about what you said at the beginning. You know, if you Think about businesses today across the world, they're closed and they're losing money and they're going to be very worried about restarting the business. But I think it is a time when you can look out at all the new technologies and new business models that are available to you now, many being used by startups. And as an established business, say, hey, it's time for me to think about those and how could I apply them in my business in a way that I could accelerate my growth out of this great disruption? Mm, right, right. You know, what I'd love, Terry, is for you to give us a pathway to think about that. As a business owner myself, I can tell you, I do have that sense of worry. We don't know when this is going to end, but I want to use this time. And I know many other business owners who are listening to this want to use this time to really reflect, think, and ask ourselves, how can we become better than before? And I'd love for you to give us a glimpse of how you think about it, because you invented entire industries. I mean, the whole thing with Travelocity is that, from what I understand, you helped create the online travel industry where people could go and book their own flights. That was a massive disruption to the entire industry. And it gave American Airlines the edge that made it become one of the dominant airlines in the world. It did. And we hoped that it would be big. We didn't know that it would be as big as it was. In fact, no one believed us. When we took the company public, I kind of played to empty rooms. It was the beginning of the internet age and everybody thought online shopping would be bigger and all kinds of other technologies would be bigger than actually travel turned out to be. But believe it or not, travel is the largest part of internet commerce. It's larger than the next three categories combined. That involved taking risk. And The way my book is written, I talk about many, many new technologies and many new business models in order to open everyone's mind to what's coming. But the end of the book is really about what can I do about it? Thinking about all these technologies and all these new business models, why haven't I already done this? So that's when we talk about what to do. And I guess I'd say the number one thing in business today that I see, particularly established business is businesses stop taking risk. Every business was formed by a risk taker. But as corporations get larger and they keep focused on quarterly earnings, risks stop. Every startup is a risk and 75% of them fail. But in corporations, it's very hard to have any kind of failure. And that's the biggest change I think businesses have to make is to say, 
I am going to experiment with these new technologies. I am going to experiment with new business models. There are many other things that we'll talk about that businesses can do. But I think the number one thing is to say, I'm going to build a culture where experimentation is welcomed, failure is understood, doesn't have to be a big failure, and that people feel safe and comfortable to try and take a risk. And once you do that, then somebody can say, hey, let's adopt 3D printing. You know, let's use robotics and you try it out. Maybe it doesn't work. That's okay. Try something else because that's the only way the world moves forward is through experimentation, mostly failure, and then suddenly a great success, which is what happened with Travelocity. Now, what does that mean for the world today? There are so many emerging new technologies coming into place. The world is changing at such a rapid pace. And I know the innovators in Silicon Valley and other hotspots around the world are creating these tools with the potential to disrupt the way we live our lives from augmented reality to artificial intelligence. As a business owner, what are things that we have to keep in mind and how can we better take advantage of these emerging opportunities? Again, I think it is sitting down and hopefully looking through a list of technologies, and they're in my book, but they're also online, of what is happening and how are people are doing them in industries maybe totally different than yours, which will spark that idea to say, I could do that. I could do that. Because so many times you hear about people who look at a startup in their industry and say, how do they do that? I couldn't do that. Except, of course, you can do that because you have things that startups would kill for. You have the factory, you have the supply chain, you have the brand, you have the sales force, you have capital. Startups have none of that. What they have is technology and courage, right? So if you look at it and say, take an industry that's been turned on its head by 3D printing. 90% of hearing aids in the world are now 3D printed. That happened in less than four years. Who would have thought that? Right. But the companies that didn't make the jump aren't here anymore because they didn't really see the value, except the customer did, because guess what? Those hearing aids are customized to you. Or think about the fact that GE just got the first jet engine part approved to be 3D printed. And now they got a part that's cheaper, lighter, stronger, faster to make. And what about the 30 different subcontractors who made that before, the people who shipped it? the boat, the truck, the customs broker, all those people aren't needed. They're disrupted by simply one 3D printer. So wouldn't it be better for you if you're a manufacturer to say, hey, I'm going to work with these airframe manufacturers and put a 3D printing facility right next door so I'm the one who prints it. How can I adopt it and change my business before somebody else comes and cuts my feet off? You know, Terry, you just said something that just made me go, wow, why didn't I think of that? You're right. So many people who have an established business right now are afraid of the startup that's going to disrupt them. I remember the story you told when I last saw you speak about that chauffeur service for the airport and how they got disrupted by Uber. And I want you to tell that story because, well, firstly, it's a fascinating story, but there's also a good warning in there for all of us who are working for a business or running a business. But you just made me realize that, yes, we are in such a better position than startups because we know the industry, we have the clients, we have a little bit of capital, and we could disrupt ourselves. So tell us that story. I'd start by saying something I say a lot, that innovation and disruption are just two sides of the same coin. You only call it a disruption when you don't do it. 
If you do it, it's an innovation, right? The point is, grab it and do it. And the story goes like this. I was riding to the airport with a limo service that I'd used many times. It takes about two hours for me to get to the airport. And the owner of the company said, would I review his website? He knew my background. And I thought, well, usually I charge people a lot of money for that. But, you know, he's a small business. I could help him. So I looked at his website and it was pretty, but you couldn't book and there was no pricing. And I said, Ed, why can't I book? And he said, well, I want people to call me. And I said, well, Ed, it's the 21st century. No one does that. You know, what would Travelocity be like if he had to call or to call to get a price? And he said, well, that's just the way I do it. You know, I've always done it that way. And I said, Ed, look, why don't you do this? Because I think you're going to get flattened by Uber. Why don't you open a second website? Call it San Clemente Online Limo. Use the same cars and the same drivers, except with that website, let people check price and let them book and give your drivers some technology like a smartphone so they know what's going on. It won't cost you more than buying a new limo. He said, well, you know, I don't really know. It seems pretty hard for me. I said, Ed, how old are you? And he said, 55. I said, you know, I don't think you're going to make it to retirement. You're not going to be 65 and still own this company if you don't change. Well, the rest of our ride was in silence. And unfortunately, about six months ago, I got an email that his company had gone bust. He had the opportunity to change, to innovate, except he let himself be disrupted. And for him, it was simple. He could use a bunch of standard tools and things that were around and leverage his brand, his drivers, his cars to continue his business. But he couldn't change and he was afraid of taking that risk. And I think it's a good allegory for so many businesses. But sometimes it's much harder to change your business, but you have to do it. You don't want a historical marker saying, you know, here was the Jones Company, a great contributor to our community, employing thousands. It's gone now. Nobody wants a historical marker for their business. They want to be in business. And that takes having the courage to change. I love that. I love that story. And there's such a powerful lesson over there. Now, where do we get started? How do we think about disruption? What type of framework would you recommend? I think about these various technologies that are coming into place and the new business models. Let's take one, outcomes. There are many models, but outcomes is an interesting new model. So Philips, the lighting company, makes light bulbs, just went to Schiphol Airport and said, instead of light bulbs, we want to sell you light. And the airport said, what? said, we just want a contract to light the airport for the next 20 years. And they got that contract. And in so doing, now Philips immediately put in lights that use less power because they're paying the power bill. They put in lights that last a lot longer because they're buying the bulbs, not the airport. And now they even, through the circular economy, take the bulbs apart, recycle them and remanufacture them to lower their manufacturing cost. And guess what? They've got a long-term contract that is way more profitable than selling light bulbs. I worked with Honeywell last year. Honeywell has made sensors for over 100 years that are used in manufacturing plants that when something fails, the red light goes on, right? Well, they moved from sensing to meaning. So instead of the red light going on, 
that actually get a little computer message that said, compressor four has failed. The air conditioning is off in this area. They move from that to action. Now, when the sensor goes off, you'll see something on the screen that says, compressor down in area four, backup turned on, service is dispatched. That's obviously worth way more money than selling a sensor. So they're selling an outcome. You need to look at these new business models, outcomes, subscriptions, direct-to-consumer. We can talk about more of them and see how they might apply to your business. One of the great models, of course, is the new razors that come by subscriptions. There are two subscription, very large subscription razor companies here in the United States. Nobody ever thought about a subscription for a razor, but guess what? They're way cheaper than the razors that you buy in the store. And of course, the company now knows you as an individual, which mass marketers never did. And as they get to know you, they can sell you many more things because they have a relationship with you as opposed to the traditional razor company that had no relationship. Same thing's happening with box dinners. Instead of opening a grocery store, I'm going to sell you groceries in a box. You still cook them, right? but but it's way more profitable. So investigating technologies and then investigating business models, you might use new technologies with new business models. You might use just new business models to apply to your current business. Wow, I love that level of thinking. And I love this concept that you just said, outcomes. That's a beautiful idea. Let's talk about the second one, subscriptions. Well, you know, we've had subscriptions, of course, for many things for a long, long time, like magazines and newspapers. But there are all kinds of consumer products. You can get dog food by subscription. Almost anything that's recurring, you could now subscribe to. And you know, it's a fairly simple model, but again, I want to tell people that the other part of that that's so powerful is that as a corporation, instead of just shipping your goods out to the big box store, now you actually know that Terry is getting a razor and how often he uses it, and you can begin to communicate with him online and learn more about him and sell him more things. I mean, I just bought a new oven called a Brava. And it's an infrared oven. It's about the size of a microwave. Cooks super fast. And it has built-in recipes, and it gets updated every week with new recipes, kind of like my Tesla gets updated. But guess what? I can actually order meals to be delivered in a box to my home through my oven. One of the fascinating things that people are doing now is using technologies like big data and the cloud and connectivity to have connected products. So there's a thermometer that's out. It connects to your iPhone. You take the temperature of your child, and it says, gee, your child has a fever. What are the other symptoms? And it says, this looks like something where you need a doctor. Would you like me to connect you to a doctor in real time via telehealth? Well, that's a whole lot more profitable and more wonderful for the consumer than just a thermometer. So connected products are another part of this subscription model that are making companies much more profitable and building loyalty. John Deere, the tractor company, now has connected tractors. They, for the first time, know exactly how their customers are using the tractor. Before, they used to get that information anecdotally through the distributor, maybe once a year at a meeting. 
Now they can look at every tractor in real time, understand how people are using them. And let me give you another related example. I was at a meeting and met some uh, agricultural bankers, and they said, we just reprogrammed our system so that no transaction takes more than five minutes. And I said, well, that's good. You know, everything should be fast. We learned that at Kayak, but why five minutes? He said, that's how long it takes the farmer to get from one end of the field to the other. And while they're driving, they all have computers in their tractors. They're doing other things like banking. But when they get to the end of the field, they got to turn the tractor around, unload the product, do all this stuff. And by the time they get back, they've kind of forgotten where they were in the transaction. So we were able to understand that our customer has changed and we now have a five-minute customer. That's the kind of thing that you can get by being connected. It's a concept that I call in the book, Owning the Edge. You see, the edge used to be about being at first and main, you know, at downtown, right, on High Street. Now the edge is being on the edge of the glass, whatever device the customer is using. So Shell Oil, for example, is now building themselves into your car entertainment system. So they'll say, gee, you're running low on gas. We have a station just a kilometer ahead. If you fill up now, I'll give you two coupons for coffee. And by the way, it knows two coupons because the in-seat monitors told them there were two people in the car, right? Amazon has done a terrific similar job. They started with those little dash buttons, but now they have an API so that my washing machine can automatically order the detergent when it's running low. My printer orders my own ink and my Brita orders its own filters. Now that's an incredible lock, right? That is really exciting. Oh, wait, sorry. My daughter just came in the room. Hi, Eve. I'm recording a podcast. Cute daddy. Thank you. <laughs> Cute daddy. <laughs> You're like the BBC guy who was live was... when the daughter came in and started talking to him. I said, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we are all stuck at home, right? And the schools yeah. are all closed. But yeah. no, I'm, I'm hooked on every word. This is so cute. Um, I mean, not cute. <laughs> I was thinking about my kid. This is so mind-blowing. <laughs> Now, let me ask you a question, Carrie. And I didn't mean to call you cute. I'm sorry. I was talking to my kid. How would this apply to people who are in my industry, right? The education industry, the transformation industry, coaches, healers, people who are in the business of education. Most of them have an online course, but they tend to stop there. How would you see this industry being disrupted? I'll give you an example. So I'll take it first to online, and then we can go beyond. I met a guy actually a Malaysian, born in Malaysia, grew up in the U.S., went off to Vietnam when he started working and built a, a big outsourcing company for computer engineers. And he had to train all these Vietnamese employees. And he did that, very successful. And he said, why can't I do that in the U.S.? So he came back to the U.S. and he opened a company called Kinsey Academy, where he hired people who were kind of down on their luck. Maybe a truck driver lost his job, I met lawyers, I met a woman who'd been incarcerated, all wanted to start again. And they created a two-year engineering program to turn out computer engineers in two years, extremely successful, but with a new business model. The way it works is you pay nothing while you're at school, but you pay 18% of your salary for three years after you graduated if you make over $60,000. If you make less than $60,000, you don't pay anything. Well, guess what? 98% of their people graduate, almost all making over $60,000. So it allows people who don't have a lot of money to get education quickly, 
Then they cut the class to one year, and they had to do that because so many people were being hired after one year. And then they made it online. So they moved from Indianapolis to nationwide. They're moving around the world with this program. It is a little different. It's a flipped classroom, which I'm sure you know, where it's not about lectures. The professor is right there with you all the time. You're actually doing real product creation. So it's real time. Everybody gets the help they need. You're not just sitting there being lectured to. And it turns out it's way more successful than many other boot camps. And this new business model that's bolted to it allows people who don't have the money to go through education. And by the way, we get them all part-time jobs while they're in school. So they're all doing things like customer support at home and other jobs they can do because, of course, they have to eat and pay their rent while they're going to school. That's amazing. What is this company called? It's called Kinsey, K-I-N-Z-I-E, Kinsey Academy, based in Indianapolis, started by a great guy, Chuck Oy. I met him and I spoke there and got to know the people. And now I've joined the board because I really believe in it. I mean, obviously that model doesn't have to work just for becoming an engineer. It could be any kind of class, but they're focused on the demand. And particularly here in the United States, and I'm sure around the world, we have the same thing. These engineers aren't going to Google and Apple and Facebook. They're going to traditional companies who are trying to disrupt themselves and desperately need engineers to become a new smart company. They're able to get great jobs because there simply aren't enough engineers. And there aren't going to be enough, a lot of other people. Yes, AI is going to disrupt some jobs, but as we all know, it's going to create many others. Data scientists you know, sort of the number one growing job in the world. We don't have enough of them. So we could get back to some of the changes you have to make in your own company. One of them I call don't play pinball. You and I are old enough to have played with pinball machines, and they're still around in some places. I used that, and you saw the video in my speech, a picture of a ball going through a pinball machine, because that's the way many big companies make decisions. They bounce off these little rubber bumpers, and you have a new idea out there, and IT says, well, we can't write the code for that. And marketing says, we could never market that. And if you get through them, then sales says they can't sell it. And customer service says they can't support it. And if you get through those traps, then they bring out the big guns with those little flippers at the bottom of a pinball machine. And those are finance and legal, the departments that kill everything, right? And that's what happens in a big company. In a, in a startup, it's just you know a guy and a girl and a dog. And they say yes. So one of the big changes that companies have to make is to build a culture where everyone says yes, that their job is to say yes to something new. It's very easy to say no, because you can say no and then go back to work, leave the meeting. No, that was a bad idea. Shut it down. But you'll never change. It's hard to say yes. It's risky to say yes. But everybody in a company has to say yes and get behind the new idea and get it over the finish line for you actually to transform and disrupt yourself. I love that. But if we're in a company that's larger than 100 people, how do we start sort of greasing the wheel so it's easier for people to say yes? It really has to come from the top. It is about leadership because I believe the best ideas in a company come from the bottom, from the people on the front line, the salespeople, the customer service people, the manufacturing people. They know what's going on. I was out at an airplane manufacturing plant. They made small single engine planes. And I saw 
all these kind of look like emails stuck on various workstations. And I went to read them. They were actually emails from customers. Some of them saying, this is the best airplane seat I've ever sat in. It's amazing. Well, that's going to make somebody feel good. The other one said, the door on this plane is terrible. It's always windy and noisy. Well, that kind of information flowing back and forth to the line person is terrific. But if management doesn't support it, it will never happen. So here's the most important thing. It goes back to risk. The leader of the company has to stand up and say, hey, we're trying this new idea. Bob's running it. And by the way, it was a smashing success. And, you know, Bob gets a big round of applause. And then this is another area. Laura did this. It failed. And we're giving Laura another chance because we kill projects, not people. It wasn't about her. It was just an idea that failed. Look, I'm just finishing the biography of Thomas Edison. It's unbelievable how many things he tried that failed before he invented the light bulb and improved the record player and basically built the movie industry and so many other things. But he tried thousands of things that failed. But you have to celebrate failure along with success. And when you do that, and when people see that there's really no risk and the boss is okay if the idea fails, we're going to try again, then you'll get people standing up and saying, hey, I want to try this. The ideas will flow to you from the bottom of the organization. But normally, they're interrupted by a thing I call the bozone layer. Now, that's not the ozone layer. This is the impenetrable layer of middle management that stops good ideas from moving upward. It's not their fault. It's that they're not rewarded to take risk. So unless you start that top-down first, you can't get the bottom-up later. And the bottom-up is where the best ideas come from. At Travelocity, we started in 1996 paging people when their flights were late. And yes, we were paging them because no one had cell phones then. They had pagers. Nobody had ever done that. It was amazingly successful. That idea came from a customer service agent. She said, I'm tired of answering the phone. Can't we page these people? But if we hadn't had a culture where those ideas could flow, it never would have happened. I love that. I love that. Gosh, okay, like I'm feeling so on fire right now. There are so many things I want to like think about or rethink or disrupt. I actually can't wait to get to my morning scrum right now. So thank you. Firstly, this is a huge dose of motivation. And what I like about this conversation is that in a time like this, it's so easy to focus on the negative, right? But what I'm finding is that actually being at home, being in this peaceful environment with my children is actually allowing my mind to expand in different ways. It's not do, 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 but it's giving me more time to reflect, to think. I'm still getting stuff done, but as I'm reflecting and thinking, so many ideas are emerging. And I bet many of the people listening to this podcast who might be stuck at home as well are noticing the same phenomenon. I think that's right. I mean, it is the perfect time to do this. And, and hopefully, you know, disruption often give you a framework for that. You know, you think about things in a company like marathons and sprints. Well, in a little company, it's all a sprint. But in a big company, you've got to run the marathon. I've got to support my staff. I've got to get the earnings done. I've got to produce the product. But at the same time, you have to have sprints. You have to have these little experiments that are going on all the time. And that's hard to do. And sometimes it takes different people to do marathons and sprints. At Travelocity, I brought a bunch of mainframe programmers over to program for the web because they knew travel. And it turns out they didn't like it. You know, we were changing on a dime. We were canceling projects. We were very customer responsive. They wanted to go back to writing big, plotting, mainframe, one-year things. So we sent them back. 
because they couldn't do the sprint. But at the time, Travelocity was all sprint. But in big companies, you do both. So people kind of self-select to that. There's some people who like the startup changing, failing, trying again environment. And there's some people who like to come in and work on the line and do the same thing every day. And that's perfect. You need both. But if you're just running marathons, guess what? You're going to get out sprinted by somebody at the end who's going to come and eat your business. If you think about monsters, Godzilla didn't kill King Kong, right? It wasn't another giant guy. It was a bunch of little tiny planes who killed King Kong. Those are the startups. Those are the guys who are biting at your heels. And we're all playing whack-a-mole 24 hours a day against startups. But they're also the place you can get the best ideas. I was with the chairman of American Express two years ago. He came out there twice a year just to do what they call a Silicon Valley petting zoo. You know, we went and saw lots and lots of startups. And he said, American Express was founded. It was an express company. It was shipping freight on railroads. He said, now we're a financial powerhouse. I don't know what we're going to be next, but we're not going to be a financial powerhouse. We're going to change. And I have to find that idea out here. So as you suggest, this is a great time to look at those technologies, look at those business models and say, wow, one of these really can catch fire in my industry if I will take the impediments in my company out of the way that keep me from changing. So many powerful ideas over here. And that was a key message. How can I take the impediments out of my company that keep me from changing? Now, what would be a message for you for people here who may not own the company, but actually work for the company? You can be innovative no matter what you do, no matter what the department is. Hopefully you can suggest new ideas. I was at a hundred-year-old company who asked me to speak on innovation, and I thought, well, they're a hundred years old; they got to know some things. But actually, their business model hadn't changed much. And before the speech, I met someone at the reception, and she said, "Well, I've done something innovative in my department." I said, "What's that?" She said, "I unlocked our Adobe forms so that as people apply for insurance, they can type right into the computer, and they don't have to print it out and write it by hand and send it into us where we can't read it." Now, I didn't want to tell her that. The U.S. Internal Revenue Service had done that like 10 years earlier. So it wasn't exactly cutting edge. But you know what? It was cutting edge to them. And it certainly was cutting edge to her. It was wonderful that she took it on herself and did that and was applauded for it. So in some companies, you can grasp the nettle and do those kinds of things and work within your team to be more innovative than the rest of the company. And some companies, it's harder. You've got to find a way sometimes to get around the naysayer. And that's not always easy because there are a lot of people who will say, well, let me play devil's advocate for just a moment here with any new idea. It's the pinball machine. But if you keep moving and keep thinking of new things, many times you can be heard and look at your own department and say, how could we change? What could we do with new technology or a new business model or just a new idea that you can apply yourself so that others look at you and say, hey, this is good. This is innovative. We like this. This is great. And this is also a great way to actually stay at work. I mean, I believe in good companies, bosses and CEOs really value the people who come up with ideas. They do, but they don't always. I've talked to people who say, you know, I've tried for 10 years. And I said, well, if you want to be an innovator, a sprinter, you better move somewhere else. You can't fight City Hall. 
But in many companies, yes, they do value it. And they've just got the bozone layer between them and you. (laughs) So you have to raise your hand and be heard, be a little bit disruptive. That happens all the time. It's happened forever. It's never easy to come up with something new. But now we have these incredible technologies that you may find you have an idea for that no one else in your industry has that solves a real problem. I was in Iceland recently speaking for the U.S. Department of State, and I was touring around, and the driver said, you want to come and see this cow barn, the milk, cow milk you know, barn. And I said, well, I've, I've seen those before. He said, no, look at this one. And we walked in. There wasn't a person around. The cows came in. They were immediately robotically hooked up to a milking machine while having a little snack. The cow was milked, and the happy cow walked back outside. No one around. And you might say, well, that's terrible. It's replacing people who did that job. The problem is they can't hire people to do that work anymore. Nobody wants to get up at 5 a.m. to milk a cow. That isn't what people want to do. And guess what? The cows actually produce more milk. Someone took a look at this and said, hey, we're having a problem hiring people. So you have to look at what is the trend that's happening in my industry. In this case, it's I can't get people and say, I can apply technology to that and solve the problem in a whole new way. Beautiful. I love how you think. Okay, now, for people who want to go further in your work, I know you have two books out, Disruption Off and On Innovation. Okay, so there's Disruption Off and On Innovation. Could you tell us about both books so we know where to get started? Disruption Off really is about avoiding being disrupted. So it talks about 10 new technologies, five new business models, and then this concept about owning the edge. And then it goes through a number of things you can do to avoid being disrupted. And we talked to some of them. Risky business, take small risks, fearlessness, fix the odds so you experiment and measure. Closing the roach motel, I call it, which is killing the silos. And there's many more of those. Now, on innovation really goes much farther on the innovation side. Less of the what's going to come and kill you, more of the what can you do. And the two pillars there that are most important are culture and team. We've talked a bit about culture already, but if you build the right culture and you build the right team, you've put the pillars in place for innovation. And the culture is one we talked about of risk, of experimentation, of change. And then the team has to be made up of people who actually want to do that, looking for A players who want to make experiments, who want to change. And then it talks about How do I select the best idea? How do I select the business model that goes around it? How do I build a business that's continuously innovative? So it goes much deeper in the topic of innovation because a lot of people don't even know the definition. The definition of innovation I like is that creativity is thinking up new things. Innovation is doing them. It's putting ideas to work. I'm the holder of five patents, but not one of them is an innovation because my company didn't turn any of them into a product. They don't count. Innovations are ideas that you put to work that actually make money or save money or change your company. On innovation is about putting ideas to work, and it'll give you lots of examples about how to do just that. Love it, Terry. So thank you so much. And thanks for being a guest on the Mind Valley podcast. Now, for those of you who are listening, go to Amazon and search for Terry Jones. Keep in mind that there are two different Terry Jones. The other one is a comedian famous for Monty Python. So you can find Terry's books by Googling Disruption Off or On Innovation. If you don't find it, add the word Terry, so Disruption Off Terry, 
or on innovation, Terry. I am currently reading Disruption Off. It is a phenomenal book, and it's the kind of book that just lights a fire under your butt. After reading that book, I can't wait to get to work just so I can apply some of the strategies I've learned. And this is why I so wanted Terry to be a guest on the Mind Valley podcast. So thank you so much, Terry. Well, thank you. And I hope everybody stays safe and take this time to reflect about coming out of this terrible disruption. What can I do to change my business and move faster than I ever did before? Amazing. Thank you so much, Terry. And that's it. For those of you listening, go ahead and leave a review. In your review, mention Terry Jones if you enjoyed this episode. And I'll see you next week on the Mind Valley Podcast. Stay safe, stay positive, and we're here for you. Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.